love it up here in the sky. I feel like I just need to fly. But for some reason, I let you see through my disguise. I'm hung up on your touch, but so afraid of your love. Cause love in the past has been like kryptonite. I've been all by myself and felt like things will never change. But you made me feel like it's okay. Hey, hey. So let's fly up, up and away. Up, up and away. No matter what happens to me, I promise I'll keep you safe. This is episode 244 for September 2013. Welcome, gang, to our anniversary show. We just got done with two plus hours of live callers. Thank you all for calling in for that. And, um, what's that? I hear music. Okay, so there is a um, like six-stage music festival going on on my block as I record this. Um, so I've been try I've been trying to keep my uh, microphone muted, but I guess I forgot that time. So yeah, we've had a uh, loud gospel lady singing, country music. We'll switch to jazz eventually. I'm sure it's just all kinds really? of stuff going on. And serenaded. It's not bad. Yeah, Chris, welcome to the show. We've got Chris on the line. And we've got Don. Welcome, Don. Uh, thank you for welcoming me, welcoming me, Brad. Three hours into the show, I'm welcoming everybody. Bertoni's on the line, enjoying a Burger King burger. Yes, I had a whole introduction written out and everything this time that I was waiting for months <laughs> to do. But then, but then Brad put, you know, we're just doing short introductions this month. So, yes, and Jr. Welcome, Jr. To this. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> That's about as short as you can get. Good night, everybody. Yeah, I'm out. All right, uh, iTunes reviews. We've gotten one in the past month. Web Slinging Adam, thank you for writing in. We'll read it right now. With great podcast comes great responsibility. Five out of five stars. This is the best Spider-Man podcast I've found. The guys are steeped in their Spider-Man lore and will drop knowledge on some obscure continuity reference in a second. I'm a lifelong fan of Spider-Man, but I've only gotten back into the regular collecting again in the past couple of years, and they have helped me piece my spider history throughout conversations, character bios from Bertoni, and the monthly spider history lesson from JR. They also take time to read and answer message board questions, no matter how ridiculous they get sometimes. I recommend this podcast to anyone who is a webhead. Keep up the great work. Appreciate that. All right. Thanks, Adam. Also, I want to do another bit of business. Uh, a couple months ago, we were, I think, answering a message board question, etc., about how I've always wanted an energized Spider-Man, that 70s toy from Rimco that uh, they put out. Jared, did you ever have one of these? Nope, not at all. It, it, it didn't, I always saw, I remember the ad in the 70s in the comics, and always wanted one, and a, and a listener by the name of Gene heard that podcast and sent me an email, and he goes, you know what, my wife's making me clean out my Spider-Man stuff, <laughs> and I've got an extra. And uh, how about I send it your way? And he was really nice. He put it in a box, and he mailed it, put some other spider goodies in there. He also, uh, for Ava's birthday, put a little uh, stuffed Spider-Man in the box. Oh, that's sweet of him. That was, and, it, and it said, to Ava, happy birthday on it. So it was really nice of Gene to do that. And once he gets um, his spider, he's going to have a smaller spider shrine than he used to. And he's going to take a picture. So, Gene, I'm, I'm, I, pl- I took the pictures. I'm still going to put them on the front page. I just have been really busy. But I wanted to publicly on the podcast thank you for sending that uh, energized Spidey. He's just as cool as I remember him. So let's tackle news now. 
Uh, Don, you've got the first one. Evidently, uh, the Kirby's, the Kirby heirs, have lost their lawsuit against Marvel. Thank God. And um, discovered a, a 1990 article that on the front page that uh, Kirby uh, was asked, uh, quote, can I ask you what involvement, what your involvement in Spider-Man was? And Kirby's quote is saying, quote, I created Spider-Man. We decided to give it to Steve Ditko. I drew the first Spider-Man cover. I created the character. I created the costume. I created all those books, but I couldn't do them all. And we decided to give the book to Steve Ditko, who was the right man for the job, and he did a wonderful job. And then he st- starts talking about his Ditko history and how he knows and stuff. What do you think of this, Don? Did Ditko create Spider-Man? <laughs> uh, okay, well, I mean, it's funny because like I actually, I actually legitimately have this this uh, interview. I think I mentioned it before, but like uh, my, like a couple of Christmases back, my brother got this Comics Journal Jack Kirby interview book, and this is in there. And I remember when I was reading, I was calling Josh. I was so horrified when I got to this part where he said he. And it gets worse than this. I mean, he starts he starts bitching out Stan Lee, and he and he and his wife have nothing but terrible things to say about Stan Lee and uh, how he, how he got uh, gone on with everybody and created everything under the sun. And um, it's funny because like this, I guess, is like a twenty something odd year old interview. But this is a few years before uh, Kirby died, and I've mentioned it a lot lately on the last, pl- last few shows, uh, the untold story of Marvel Comics by Sean Howey. Like, personally speaking, from what I all read, Jack Kirby, to me, seems like a guy who, in his last few years, was extremely bitter and just was a very unpleasant person in terms of his relationship with comic books in general. Um, he struck out at DC Comics and did the New Gods, which people love, but at the time didn't do well and, and kind of made him go back to Marvel to find work. And, like, it seems to me like, like he just said this out of complete bitterness and, and bile out of the whole Marvel Universe uh, comics creation. As, as, as pessimistic as that sounds, he can't honestly say that he created Spider-Man because he says, I created Spider-Man we decided to give him Steve Ditko. Well, if you created Spider-Man, then how is it you know, you and someone else's decision. Like, I mean, I mean, he well, he, he can't he can't say that. I mean, it's not true. Uh, creation is is um, uh, subjective, I guess. Do you think in his mind he really does think he created him? I know he's in the later years of his life. I, I'm making you to no. I, guess. I mean, like, uh, you think he's he's flat out lying and he's knows he's lying? Is that what you think he's doing? Like, what is he? I mean. It, if you, I don't know, man, uh, like, because he, he's been said to say, like, you know, he, uh, he, someone said on this podcast for free, I think it was JR, that, like, he had to apologize to Ditko for saying this, because he didn't design the costume. You know, he's basically saying, like, like, I created all those books, and, like, he just sounds like a jackass. I mean, we know this is not true. I guess the question is, why is he saying this? Maybe it's hard up for money. I mean, if it was true, then why did he, like, try to get on the Spider- He was doing, like, Marvel cartoons. Why didn't he get on the Spider-Man cartoon? Why didn't he get on the Spider-Man cartoon in the 60s? I mean, there's, there's, this is a really clear-cut example of, of, you know, a falsehood in comics creation, where it's like, it honestly, it honestly really annoys me. And I'm a fan of Kirby to a, to a, to a certain extent. I mean, I, I, like, I love his artwork. I love and respect everything he's done for the comic book industry. And, but, like, there's times where creators can shoot their mouths off and people, you know, people don't like Alan Moore. People don't like Mark Millar or Frank Miller or, or Grant Morrison or whatever because, like, the, the things they say. But Kirby, to me, he just, he just seemed like a very vindictive guy who, yeah, granted, credit was, was denied to him. Absolutely true. But you don't, you don't 
rectify that but by stealing credit from other creators. Two wrongs don't make a right. And I have an honestly negative, negative reaction to this from him saying that. Granted, this is like 20 years ago. But this to me is like an example of him lying through his teeth so he can get more, more fame in his last years before he died. I, I think you would be a bit bitter if you created a billion-dollar um, uh, franchise. But he didn't. It wasn't him. We know it wasn't well, he him. Hel- we helped him. I mean, he helped. Not with Spider-Man. No, not with Spider-Man. Uh, Mar- Marvel in general. He helped create a billion-dollar franchise, and he... Well, was it a billion-dollar franchise in 1990? I, I honestly don't know. I, probably not. It was probably a million-dollar franchise. But he, he, he wanted his money, essentially. <laughs> Which justifiably, I probably would too. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I, what, what do you guys think? Because this, this honestly, like, yeah. just just makes me like swear to, swear on the name of Jack Kirby as a dick. But I don't want to. I don't want to harp on that much. Yeah. Wow. Didn't Jr. say that like um, there's the first few pages of the Kirby Spider-Man before Lee gave it to Dicko, and it's like an entirely different story. It is. I mean. Uh, <clears throat> This has been a long discredited interview. Um, I think if you read Mark Gavineer's um, news for me, he has a whole section on Jack Kirby. And he says that Kirby was a horrible interview uh, in that in one time, you know, he just would ramble and ramble. And one time he even he even copped to creating Superman. (laughs) Um, And. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He just and obviously the the, the comics journal. The, I think the interview is being conducted by Gary Growth, uh, right. who absolutely has absolutely no use for Marvel, Stanley, Jim Shooter, uh, the established you know comics companies. Anything. I mean, I have no doubt probably that. Shooter. Yeah, I have no doubt that Growth was probably uh, baiting Kirby the whole time as well. Um, and Steve Ditko has said very extensively. Unfortunately, there's not any. There's no. There's no. There's no paper trail. Unfortunately, but Ditko has documented extensively that he was given Kirby's initial six pages, uh, and that the the Spider-Man character only appeared in one. It was, uh, and he drew, Ditko drew a picture of it. It looked nothing like Spider-Man. It was a, a kid who used a magic ring to turn into an adult. Ditko was the one who designed the costume. Um, Dick co-designed the look of all the characters, basically, and 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 to to uh, and and to go back there, I know that there, there's somebody I think who who showed a who showed a link to like the case for Kirby, where they try to show that Kirby's some of Kirby's old stories lined up with some of the original Spider-Man stories. That's very that's very much a stretch because if you read if you look at some of Ditko's old pre-Spider-Man work. You can see the, the 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 genesis of characters like Peter Parker and Norman Osborn and Aunt May and the Lizard and you know Ditko's the one who designed all those really, and Stan gave them a voice. So yeah, yeah I mean I I don't know that it Kirby's lying, but I think a, a mixture of bitterness, age, uh, being being goaded by somebody who had an agenda, um, and you know some people just cannot. You know, some some people just don't have they they can't. You know, like I said, they're bad interviews. 
you know, if you stick a microphone in their mouth or something, God knows what they'll say. Well, you know, hey, you know, let's ask our, our newspaper, our newsman. I mean, you've, yes. you've, you've probably talked to people, you, you know, you probably talk to them and you have a good conversation with them. And then when you stick a microphone in their face, they probably just go completely either numb or, or you know, they turn into Mr. Hyde or something. I don't know. Yeah, you never know. Print is a little bit different because they can, unless they direct dictate from what they said, the the writer can mess around a little bit. But with, at least with video, you can't. What they say is what they say. I mean, you can edit it, but you can tell it's edited a bit. But yes, people clam up. People are not the same when a, mic, a microphone is in front of them, a light is blaring on them. So, uh, any other thoughts on this one before we move on? Josh, Chris. Okay, we're going to move on to our next topic of the month is, if I can get it in front of me. The Bisexual Spider-Man. The Bisexual Spider-Man. This will be a good one. JR, you've got this one of all people. Uh, (laughs) Evidently, uh, Andrew Garfield was getting interviewed by Entertainment Weekly, and uh, he was talking um, about how the possibility of Mary Jane becoming a male in the next movie. What would that mean for... The Spider-Man movies. And Andrew Garfield is quoted as saying, uh, let's, wait a minute, that's not the right quote. Hold on, I clicked on the wrong uh, link. That was him, that was him doing some uh, fixing of what he said in the quote. Uh, let's see here, let me click on the first link. When the Sony Jones like, threw him into a van and said, you need to fix this right now. <laughs> well, Jared, you take it. I can't really find the exact specific link, but I do have video of Stanley going, "What the hell, really?" <laughs> yeah. Let, let, okay. Yeah. Let's give this topic to the old guy, who's the one most likely to say something stupid and politically incorrect. Yeah. yeah let, that's let, why I picked it. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so it's like, well, gee, should I address this seriously, or as the cartoon character I often portray? Uh, <laughs> then you know, what's the difference? I guess. Um, well. Setting this up, there was a story in Entertainment Weekly, and uh, Andrew Garfield, uh, to quote him, says, you know, he he had a philosophical discussion with producer Matt Tomac about Mary Jane. Quote, I was kind of joking, but kind of not joking about MJ, he tells Entertainment Weekly. And I was like, what if MJ is a dude? Why can't we discover that Peter is exploring his sexuality? It's hardly even groundbreaking. So why can't he be gay? Why can't he be into boys? Of course, in my first impression as well, besides the fact that, you know, here's a 30-year-old man who's playing an underage boy, talking about getting getting it on with similarly underage age boys, you know, that just sounds friggin' you know, and that sounds friggin' creepy. But other than that, no, I don't see a goddamn thing wrong with it. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, so, I, again, and I, I, I don't, I don't know what the fo- Garfield's follow-up may have been, may have been. It's hard to, you know, it's, it's hard to say if this is uh, anything more than some guy who's probably been up too long, uh, or, or you know, has has too much caffeine trying to keep up awake during a late night shoot. You know, there's it's dumb, but you know, why should anybody? You know, it, it shouldn't have got any play. But then what happens is what makes it worse is somebody at a convention, which is the second part of this. <laughs> this guy's an utter yeah. moron. Okay. Because one, you know, he he gets up and of course he's talking to Stan Lee. You know, Stan, yeah. you know, who's who's ninety years old. You can almost imagine what how what Stan's going to say. But uh, this moral <laughs> of the convention goes that Andrew, you know, he asked Stan, 
Well, what do you think of Andrew Garfield's request that Spider-Man be bisexual in future Spider-Man movies? Well, you know, again, the, Andrew Garfield didn't request it. He just was, you know, he just was saying something. Well, gee, what if he was gay? What if he liked little boys? <laughs> you know, but he he didn't request it. But anyway, of course, Stan Lee hears about as well as Leonard Nimoy does, you know. <laughs> so Stan kept going to his handler, you know, what, eh, what'd he say? Eh, you know. <laughs> and so the first time Stan goes, oh, I like Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. I really like him. And, of course, then once his handler says, uh, no, you old dope, you didn't answer the question. Uh, <laughs> you know, then... <laughs> and, and then Stan, you know, and then when finally Stan gets the uh, gets what's been asked, he goes, and this this is really funny. Who have you been talking to? <laughs> and then he says, if it's true, I'm going to make a couple of phone calls. And then everybody yeah. cheers loudly. And then Stan has Stan, and I mean, I got to admit, he handled this real well because he's got a great line. I figure one sex is enough for anybody. Yeah. <laughs> so he he did handle that really well. But but this whole thing is um, one week know, later. I, Stan apologizes to the bisexual community. <laughs> oh, did he? No, no, I was joking. Oh, he will. Cause I, I, yeah, because I, I, you know, Lord, <laughs> who knows these days? But if I, I was mean, bisexual, I would have been offended by that. But uh, <laughs> it's Stanley. Well, why would you have? I mean, to be honest, because the guy one put, sex uh, is enough for everyone. Well, he, no, some guy, somebody deliberately tried to put him on the spot. You know, by twisting something that somebody else said. You know, Garfield didn't say it that way. So this guy twists what Garfield says, trying to get a reaction out of Spider-Man's creator, who's an old man, who, you know, who probably thinks like an old man, and I kind of know the type. Uh, yeah, so, so, no, I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't have been offended by Stan's response. I've been offended by the moron who asked the question. Um, but I, I suppose... The, the, so then, the, what is so now? The debate is: Are we supposed to launch into a diatribe about whether or not Spider-Man should be bisexual? Uh, <laughs> Most predictably. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, here we go, and I'm going to answer this. I'm going to avoid this. I've, got, I've gotten in trouble actually with this before, so I'm going to be very careful here. But anyway, okay, okay, tiptoe. Yeah, <laughs> it reminded Land me. Landmine. Huh? <laughs> Landmine, like Stella said it the other day. It reminded me of a passage in memory in Gene Roddenberry's Authorized, which of course means sanitized, biography. <laughs> and this this was in Gene Roddenberry's biography. I've got the book. If for all all good Star Trek fans know that when Star Trek fan fiction started in the early 1970s, or really, that there was this element that went through it of these women who loved to write these Kirk Spock homosexual stories. <laughs> and it was called K slash S. And that's where, when they call it slash fiction, you know, that's where the slash comes from. Kirk slash Spock. I did Spock. not know that. Yeah. I did not know that. Kirk slash Spock, because there was this whole uh, under subculture of homoerotic stories featuring Kirk and Spock. But Gene Rod yeah, I know. I, 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 <laughs> Roddenberry ignored it for a while, because it was it was basically what he considered the lunatic fringe. You know, but then the stuff started showing up in the books that Pocket Book would publish. There was a there was a book, and I remember I remember this book. I forget exactly what it was called. It was a parallel universe story, but I quite forget. But some of that stuff started showing up, and Roddenberry hit the roof. Now, you know, regardless of all of Roddenberry's personal failings, <laughs> both to the women he has known and to anybody he did business with, Roddenberry was pretty progressive. 
but his i you know basically his attitude was that those were his characters he created them he created them a certain way they were not homosexual and that was it period mm-hmm. that was the way he created them you know you know if you wanted to have homosexual characters fine do your own but not his and right. that's the uh you know and and that's quite, sort of the attitude that I'm going to take on that. Yeah. Any other thoughts yep. on a bisexual Spider-Man? Don, oh, yeah, of course. Um, it's funny because, like, when I first saw this online, that Andrew Garfield said that I wanted to throttle him. And it's not because of what he said. It's just because I knew that, like, it was, we, I was like, we're in it again, aren't we? It's Miles and Morales over again. But it actually, actually did make me, like, speaking of somebody who isn't bisexual, it actually did make me think, well, I don't, I don't want to see Peter Parker bisexual. And I was like, well, wait a minute. You know, what's, how, that's, how is that different from making a white character black or whatever? Then I had to sort of reassess my thoughts on changing from one character's uh, orientation or ethnicity to another. It's one of those things. And, like, um, I asked somebody that I knew who was bisexual about this. And she said – she, she kind of came from, from a very, like, mainstream same thing. Like, you know, if it's – as long as it serves the story, uh, you know, uh, Peter Parker is not as masculine as – as, not as classically masculine as Clark Kent or Bruce Wayne are t- depicted to be, but at the same time, it needs to serve the story, not just kind of be done arbitrarily. Like, I think Garfield may have arbitrarily made the comment. At the same time, it's like, if the question is why can't he be, well, historically he's not been. He's been very – he's been overtly heterosexual. Like, oh, yeah. Like, Spider-Man is a heteronormative comic book, but – I don't think I, I mean I don't think you can argue honestly like besides you know continuity's sake there's any inherent wrong in exploring Spider-Man sexuality in a movie because it's not it's not the strict comic book. Um, personally, I think that like as long as you go whole hog with it and don't tiptoe your, your way into that creek of you know uh, you know social exploration, then it'll be an interesting idea if you do it for the movies. That would be very interesting to see that in the movie, you know, like shown for mainstream audiences. If you did in the comics, it would depend on who was writing it, preferably not Slot. But, um, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't – I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It would, it would be def- definitely disconcerting for me because that's not how I see Peter Parker. But I, I wouldn't be totally adverse to it just because that's not how I see Peter Parker. It would be interesting to see new things. It all depends on how you portray them. Well, good writing overcomes all, but I, th- I just think it's too far away from – uh, the class, uh, the the sixty sixty Spider Man. I don't know. Of course it is. It's fifty years old. <laughs> I know. I know he's fifty years old, but that's just too far from center. I I don't I don't want to be be insulting or anybody to any minority groups or anybody like that. I I just say it's not the Spider Man I know. You know that there it's is actually not, a, a subculture, not a subculture, but like there's an online thing that I've seen in a lot of tumblers with that like ship Spider Man and Deadpool together for some reason. I don't know why, but uh, I've, similar costumes probably. Yeah, I guess. Any other thoughts on this one before we move I'll on? I'll give my... Uh, just, uh, oh, okay, go, go, go ahead, ahead. Bertoni. I'll go... Okay, I'll just go first. I would just say that, um, obviously, I don't have any problem with different characters having different sexuality, I think. Where, where my sort of thought on it, my sort of thought on it comes from is that this is an adaptation of a pre-existing work, and in the yeah. pre-existing work, he is a heterosexual character, and, uh, you know, there's always part of you that when you see an adaptation of something that you love, you want it to be uh, close to the original and sort of retell you that story in a different medium, and that's what you want to see. You know, on the other hand, there was a drastic change to the Mandarin in Iron Man 3 that I didn't mind. 
because I thought it was a good story. So if it is really good, I, I mean, I, I guess I, I can't complain, but at the same time, I think when it comes to Spider-Man, which is a, a character that I hold more dear than anybody from Iron Man, for example, uh, I'd, I'd want it to be more faithful to the source material, I think. For Tony, final word? Well, uh, to the people comparing this with Miles Morales, you can't. You know, like, I could see the naysayers being like, oh, you know, what's wrong? You know, this is what I said would happen. If you make Spider-Man black, why not make him gay? Okay. They made Miles Morales black, not Peter Parker. There is a difference. They created him black. Yeah, they, 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 (laughs) they, they created him black. Like... Like they didn't, yeah. they didn't turn Peter Parker into a black man. They created a new character. So there's there is a difference between Miles Morales and Peter Parker being by. Good point. I, I wanted Good to bring point. that up because I've seen that comparison thrown around. Like, oh, you didn't have a problem with Miles Morales, but you have a problem with this. It's like, no, don't pretend that those are the two same things. And and, and I and I could see people doing that now. Like, and just bugs me. Yeah. You know who you are, listener. <laughs> I mean, come on, Marvel, right. Marvel Comics, you know, doesn't like it when he's married. Do you think they're going to let him be bisexual? Come on. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's a ridiculous <laughs> argument. Breaking news into the crawl space. We were talking about this in the previous show, uh, about where is Venom on the solicitation list. Someone asked Tom Brevoort this. They said, I couldn't help but notice Venom was missing from the November solicits. Is the book going to be on a break after that, or is it ending in October, allowing a natural progression of for Flash and Venom to be a key player in Darkest Hour? Evidently, Mr. Brevoort says, quote, wait and see. Big Venom stuff is coming up over the next month. He's toast. That's not breaking news. <laughs> That's not breaking news for two reasons. One, because Why? it's like, one, because it's two days old, and two, because Tom said nothing <laughs> except for, he didn't say that the book was canceled or that it wasn't canceled, just said stuff is going to happen that involves Venom. That was non-breaking news by Bertoni. Uh, <laughs> not, nothing is happening. There might be a Venom event. What do you think? All right, Bertoni, <laughs> you've got uh, you've got all the movie news. Spider-Man Four, except for the video that I couldn't watch. If you uh, read the chat, that's it's all good. Uh, so, uh, Spider-Man Four. Mister uh, Mark Webb, the director, teased possibly Sinister Six and a spin-off character. And Jim Carrey and Amazing Spider-Man 2. What do you think of all that? Um, I wasn't able to see the Jim Carrey thing in the video, but I read the interview that he did with uh, Crave Online where he just said, think about gentlemen and think about the gentlemen over and over and over again. And yeah. uh, uh, I guess some people are taking that literally, like the character the gentleman from this obscure you know, 90s novel that involved Peter Parker's sister or non-sister. Uh, so... I, I gotta get you. I, I gotta get you to read that book, man. It's good. I, I'm th- I'm thinking that that he didn't mean this literally. I don't know. I, I, I or he might. It sounds like he was just trolling the guys. Truth be told, because remember, like before, where we were like, ooh, he said, pro- it's this guy. It's gonna be the proto goblin. They're gonna put proto goblin in the movie. I, yeah. And and that didn't happen. I I, I don't know. I I think that it, it it's an Easter egg at most, and it's Mark Webb cheesy, and I don't think that we're going to have the gentleman. Um, as in regards to the other video, I have a lot to say about it in that I wasn't able to watch it. So, uh, yep. yeah. <laughs> Sister uh, Spider-Man 4 allegedly is going to set up uh, a spinoff character. Is that Venom? Who do you think that would be? Spider-Man 4? Well, I mean, that's, you know, we just finished Spider-Man 1, so it's 
I mean, who knows? They could introduce someone in three, or it could even be like you know, it could even be a new character from four. So it's who knows where the series goes by then. And I think that that's planning way too much ahead because that assumes that all these movies are going to be hits and that and that they don't change direction or anything. Another the rumor was that Jim Carrey is going to be a uh, Carnage. Yeah, and Amazing Spider-Man Two. Thoughts on Jim Carrey? I, I, I'd like him as Cletus Cassidy. That would be kind of cool. Do you think I don't know if they're going to... If you didn't want to be the guy from Kick-Ass, or if he was at least distancing himself from that movie, you think you want to be Cletus Cassidy, who's Carnage? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree. And, the, and uh, if they're going to do Carnage this early in a franchise... Well, I mean, um, he, he 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 can play a good crazy guy. What was that movie, 23 or something like that, where he, uh, the number the number kept coming up for him? Oh. Uh, I like Jim Carrey as a bit crazy. I think he's an underrated, serious actor. I mean, he's like a stand-up comedian, practically. And, and, uh, oh, I agree. If, if the 90s show can somehow have the Hobgoblin come before the Green Goblin, then I suppose a movie series could somehow, you know, like, make Carnage come before Venom. Yeah. Who's saying Venom's not in number three or what? Who knows? Maybe they're just. I think why, they, why, would, why would they do that? They, they've been trying everything that they can to distance themselves from the Raimi films. I think they're they going to have the same uh, in the third movie. If they do, oh, I'm sorry, but uh, actually, that, that's actually a good point. Though. I don't think they would do Venom for three again. But if they do hit up, because I think they're really into like like the Dicko villains. If they do hit up Venom, it would be like the dead last movie, I would imagine. Mm, yeah. All right. Any other thoughts on this before we move on? No. All right, we've got a law, story, law topic uh, for Chris on this one. Uh, this was up in the Hollywood Reporter, and uh, a guy lost his battle against ownership of the Web Blaster, huh? the Spider-Man toy. Tell me about this. Well, Fred, I uh, went past uh, the Hollywood Reporter and went straight to the source's mouth and read the uh, opinion written by the Ninth Circuit, and so nice. I could tell you what exa- exactly what happened in detail. Okay. Um, in, in 1990, a man named Stephen Kimball invented the toy we're talking about, which is we've all seen them in Walmart, probably like the foam string canister that you like strap around your wrist, and then you can shoot webs like Spider-Man. And so he came up with that idea and patented pat- patented uh, patent. That's hard to say. Patented it. Um, in 1990, <laughs> and then he went over to Marvel, and he and like some representative from Marvel agreed that um, Marvel would pay him if they used that idea, and then Marvel said, sorry, we're not interested. Then Marvel started making a similar toy called the Web Blaster, and the difference between that and Mr. Kimball's invention was something to do with how the glove that goes on your hand works um, I'm not exactly sure what the mechanical difference is, but there was some slight variation, and they started making that, and they started selling that in stores without uh, paying Kimball for that version of the toy. So in 1997, Kimball sued Marvel for patent infringement and breach of contract, and they, they there was various issues going on. I guess I don't need to get into too much detail, but at the end of that part of the story is that they had a settlement, and as part of that settlement agreement, Marvel bought the patent off of Kimball, and the price for buying that patent was half a million dollars and 3% of any sales from the Web Blaster toy. 
And uh, over time, that 3% ended up making Mr. Kimball about $6 million. Nice. Then in uh, 2006, Marvel entered into a licensing agreement with Hasbro, where Hasbro would make and sell these toys um, and package them with Spider-Man masks and other accessories. And uh, Marvel's intent in that deal was that Hasbro would assume the responsibility to pay Kimball's 3%. However, Hasbro didn't sign the agreement pertaining to those royalties, even though the rest of the deal, I guess, was signed or something. So then Marvel went up to them and said, hey, you forgot to sign this thing that makes it so you have to pay 3% of your sales to Mr. Kimball. And Hasbro basically said, no, thank you. And uh, <laughs> that, that kicked off a whole new wave of litigation um, between Marvel and Kimball over whether or not Kimball has the right to get these royalties. And uh, the, the last sort of background fact that you need to know is that um, Kimball's patent expired in the year 2010. Uh, so, um, hold on, let me look at I, I wrote some notes on this. Um, Bravo, this brief, yeah. Yeah, Bravo patent, patent, you did your research. Yeah. You did, very yeah, good. Um, so patents have expiration dates because as a society, we want to incentivize people to invent by giving them like the exclusive rights to their inventions when they create them, but we eventually want those inventions to go back to the public and belong to everyone, basically for the betterment of mankind. So the issue in the new case is the question of whether that 3% deal extends past the expiration date of the patent. Nothing in the deal said that the royalties would end at that date, so the, basically the outcome Kimball wanted was for Marvel to have to pay him 3% of their sales, even though everyone else in the world could make this toy and sell it without giving him royalties because it was in the public domain. And uh, obviously Marvel is the only company with a Spider-Man license, so anyone else who would make this toy would just be selling something generic. So, you know, that percentage of Marvel's sales is the percentage that counts. Um, and Mar Marvel's position in this case was that Kimball was not entitled to royalties after the expiration date of the patent, uh, and the case made it up to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is a federal appellate court that covers a lot of states in the w on the West Coast. And uh, the Ninth Circuit relied heavily on a Supreme Court case from 1964 called Brulot v. Fis. I think is the pronunciation, which said that a patentee's use of a royalty agreement that projects beyond the expiration date of the patent is unlawful per se. So this sort of deal where the royalties would go past the patent expiration date the Supreme Court had held in the past, that you can't do that, uh, basically circumvents the intent of the patent law, which wants inventions to eventually become public property. Uh, and there are some exceptions to that rule, but the Ninth Circuit went through them all and found out that, or found that the agreement between Kimball and Marvel didn't apply to any of those exceptions. For example, there's an exception to the rule that it says it's okay as long as the post-patent um, rate is discounted uh, for the royalties. But um, basically the end result was that they found that Brulot did apply to this deal, and the result is that Mr. Kimball lost the right to get any more money from the sale of web shooters, so he'll have to be satisfied with his six and a half million dollars. Wow, bravo on your research on that. Very good. Yeah, yeah. My heavens. Uh, any any thoughts on that? I, I, I'm seeing similar, uh, uh, at least I'm uh, hearing similar, this sounds like the Kirby versus Marvel lawsuit. I mean, it's the creator versus the company. That's what it sounds like, you know? Yeah, it could be. I guess, I don't know, um... 
you know, this guy did invent this toy, it seems, and uh, while there is some disputes on the specific mechanism, it seemed like the general idea was his, and, you know, he he's entitled to some kind of compos- compensation, I would think, but, um, you know, it seems to be settled law from the Supreme Court that you can't make a royalty deal that goes past the expiration of your patent, um, and the Ninth, mm-hmm. the Ninth Circuit was very critical of that Supreme Court opinion in their in their opinion, but it's a Supreme Court opinion, so they had to follow it. Right. Any other thoughts before we move on to reviews, gang? I can, well, I done. Can, well done. Well done. Well done. I agree. Yeah, well, I can't, I can't well possibly done. contribute to that. Me neither. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> you did great, Chris. Hey, All right, we're ta- tackling uh, reviews. We've got three this month. My heavens, Bertoni, you've got Superior Thirteen. Okay, Superior 13. Uh, we last left uh, in the raft. Uh, things are going cuckoo crazy because Spider Slayer, Alistair Smythe, is supposed to be executed, but he doesn't want to be executed. He wants to escape, and he infects nanobots and uh, Boomerang, Vulture, Scorpion. So they're going around messing stuff up, and Spider-Man says, here's supporting cast, stay in this force field. And Jonah's like, Spider-Man, you find him, kill him. Kill him bad. Kill him really, really bad. So that's, uh, is that where all of our chess pieces are? Did I miss anything? Nope, sounds good. Okay, excellent, excellent. So, uh, Scorpion's going after Jameson, and Jameson's got his armor. Vulture's going after the people in the forest field. Um, and basically, they're, uh, they're all pleading with the Vulture, and they're making some good points. The lawyer's like, wait, you know that case that I, you know, made for Smythe that lost and got him on death row? Um, I can... <laughs> <laughs> I, I can do that. I can do that same case for you, and then what a deal. Uh, yeah, and then like Glory Grant is like, and I in the mayor's office can spin this, and then the priest is like, don't you care about God, son? And the vulture's like, bah, I never cared about God. And then like a voice from the heaven says, what about that Jam D. Mateus story where you thought you were dying and you cared about God? But, <laughs> and, and and that voice was me yelling at the comic, but no. Um, Bertoni. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, continuity Bertoni is 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 returning at the at the very end of this review. So just I'm, you I'm, and I'm your deputy. Oh yes. Uh, so so they're all debating that, and meanwhile, you know, like uh, Shipley, the guard who you know gave Doctor Octopus that really you know uh, uh, violating bath um, in that flashback. You know, he wants to shoot the vulture in the back while they have a chance. Uh, Scorpion is about to finish off Jonah when Kurt Connors, um, in the lizard body, saves him and reveals that, yes, he's been Kurt Connors all along. Um, Spider Slayer is fighting Spider-Man, and there's some exposition along the way, and Peter Puss is like, you know what, um, let me just stab you and get this over with. So they do that, and um, apparently it's like when... it's like in a movie when, like, so, a witch dies and, like, all of her spells are undone. You know, Vulture, who was about to... It, it, he was considering letting everyone go. He falls to the ground, and then Shipley the guard, like, you know, shoots him and tases him anyway. Like, oh, can't take any chances. Uh, Scorpion falls apart. Boomerang. Boomerang was taken out very easily. I can't even remember how it happened, truth be told. So then everyone's like, yep, <laughs> things wrapped up. A lot quicker than usual, too. Let's all walk outside and look at the sunset. But then uh, the Spider Slayer pops up again and says, Aha, still alive. And he and Sp- um, Peter Puss fall over an edge. And this way, only um, no one else can hear or see what's going on. And Alistair Smythe basically tries to pull a Doc Ock and swap minds with Spider-Man. But he has the... Uh, Peter Puss has reinforced his helmet so that they can't do any mind swaps. 
So, and then I love this moment right before Alistair Smythe dies, you know, Doc Ock tells him, you know, what that that he that the plan didn't work because he did the plan first and that he is Dr. Octopus and now nobody'll <laughs> know cuz he's dead. So, <laughs> So, so then he goes back to the surface, and you know, and and then everyone takes a ride home from the raft. And oh yes, yeah, we have two continuity, we have two great continuity moments here. Um, you know, uh, Jameson is going to shut down the raft, and Spider Man says, "Yeah, I have a better idea. How about you give it to me?" And Jameson's like, "What? No, I I, I like my idea better." So then Spider Man plays a recording of Jonah telling him, you know, to kill the Spider Slayer, and it's funny because I was listening to the podcast from the uh, other month where Chris says that conversation was entirely pointless. It was just repeating what we already knew, but now we know why it was there. And, uh, (laughs) you know, eh, and we all know, you know, from the Roger Stern Hobgoblin issues that Jonah always succumbs to blackmail, especially (laughs) for the person who he hates the most. So Stealing my notes. But but it's okay because Dan Slott Dan Slott could be a clever writer. Like remember um, issue three of Superior Spider Man where Dan Slott has Peter Puss say, "Why would you light that spider signal? We don't want everyone in the city to know where I am. We do not want I, th- that." That was a clever thing. So anyway, this issue ends with Spider Man holding a press conference, telling everyone where he's going to be at all times, <laughs> and it's called Spider Island Two. Wow. Well, let's hit the pros and the cons. What do you got, Bertoni? Uh, pros, I love how things ended with Alistair Smythe and Spider-Man. Uh, it, it, it feels weird calling him Spider-Man, but like, it, it's, it, it takes an effort to say Peter Puss or, you know, or the superior Spider-Man all the yeah. time. But I, I love that, that they have that private moment where Doc Ock was able to admit that it was him. Um, and your cons? My cons, well, like again, I said, you know, it, it was just a few months ago that Slot made a big deal of, yeah. like, Spider-Man yelling at the reader, it is stupid to tell everyone where you're going to be. Then he holds a press conference. Right. This island is True. my headquarters, you know. This is where I'll be. And, oh, and, uh, and Jonas succumbing to blackmail, you know, the guy yeah. from Spider-Man of all people. And before, you know, like, somebody says, whoa, in the 90s, Jonah was extorted by Norman Osborn. He threatened his family. Um, Jonah quit being, you know, the editor-in-chief of the Daily Bugle in the 80s when he was blackmailed because he was a man of integrity. And I know that in Slot's very first Crawl Space interview, he made a point to you guys saying, since when did Jonah become this man of honesty and integrity? Since character development, that's then. Okay, cool. In the Silver Age, Jonah lied about, you know, the big man being Spider-Man and Electro being Spider-Man. Characters have marched on since then. And, again, Jonah quit the Daily Bugle. That's something that people overlook. So you think he's going to let Spider-Man, this guy who he's hated for all these years, control him like this? Evidently, yes. So that is that was a very big con for me. Okay. Uh, grade? Uh, probably a B. It's, okay. I mean, its cons were big, but, you know, this was an enjoyable action issue, and I enjoyed rereading it when I was taking notes this morning, and that final moment with Alistair Smythe and Spider-Man was really good. Okay. We got a B. JR, what's your grade? Uh, I gave it a B-. minus. Chris? C+. Plus. And Don? Plus C. Uh, I'll give it a plus C also. Uh, any any pros that haven't been discussed yet, gang? Smythe, I thought you were... Oh, go ahead. Okay. Oh, sorry. I just I, sometimes I feel like if I don't jump in, I'll never get get a chance. <laughs> um, but if anybody wants to go before me, but I I just 
thought that the ending uh, did set up uh, the possibility of interesting stories with the, with blackmailing Jonah. I know Bertoni has mm-hmm. a problem with that, but um, you know, Spider Man getting a base where everyone knows where he'll be. I know Bertoni has a problem with it, but. But, you know, I do think there is a feeling that the overall story of Superior Spider-Man is about to escalate at the end of this issue, and I was that's something I had been craving for several issues, and this one delivered that at the end, so I appreciate that. And Don, what were you going to say? I was going to say, Smythe, I thought you were dead! I was, but my dead body is also your enemy. I thought that was actually a really awesome, like, kind of Metal Gear-esque scene when Slot says, you know, they, like... Eat a dick. I'm Dr. Octopus. That was kind of cool. <laughs> Good lord. Uh, any, let's do cons now. Okay. Any, uh, any cons? I want, I want to embellish what Josh had said by looking at the uh, the original 92, original Hobgoblin tree that I recently got for cheap in my LCS. Uh, when Spider-Man says, uh, I knew you were mixed with the scorpion somehow, but I never thought you actually put the bills that make them the way he was. And J- Jameson goes, yes, I did. It's not a thing I'm very proud to admit. But by Gaffrey, I will not submit to blackmail. J. Jonah Jameson admits his mistakes. The public may judge as they wish. And it's like, you know, I'm not... This is one of those things where you don't want to, like, cop to everything that writers might get wrong later on, but that is such a very intensely strong moment from J. Jonah Jameson in the Spider-Man canon that to, for a continuity fanboy horror trademark J.R. Fenninger of slot to, to get it that wrong felt really kind of bad to me. I mean, if you don't go by that, like, I mean, who here hasn't read Daredevil Born Again? Where, like, uh, uh, Ben Urich gets his arm broken and, like, you know, has his wife threatened. And Jameson's vaguely aware of this, and he still says, you know, I don't put up with people bending down to the mob in order not to protect the story. You have five million people out there that can crush, that can crush dynasties. If you pull this shit again, I'm going to have that ass. And it's like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't get how Slot can get something so fundamental. I mean, and George has said this before, like, how Slot fundamentally doesn't understand the characters. And I'm not always apt to say that because it sounds like, like a, an easy thing to say but it's actually stronger than it needs to be but this is a really like serious mis, misstep of J. Jonah Jameson's character he is he is a guy who might do some things outside the law or whatever but when he's confronted with a serious moral mistake and, at the, and the threat of being exposed he cops to it he's done it more than once before why would he then now it just makes him look like a, like, like a, a worse character and I I, it feels to me that, like Slot has an agenda to make Jameson the cartoonist villain that he was in the Dicko era, and you can't do that in 50 years later. You just can't. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because at the Superior Spider-Man panel, when they asked Slot over the phone to do an impression of J. Jonah Jameson, one of the things that Slot said was, Miss Brandt. Now, if you think about it for a second, that's his image of Jonah Jameson. Betty Brandt has not been Jonah's secretary since, uh, like issue 156 of Amazing. So, like, I really think... But, no, based on that, like, you know, that little... And and maybe I'm overanalyzing, you know, that, like, one thing that Slot said. But, like, it it tells me that his, like, whole vision of Jonah comes from those old issues and um, the 60s... The 60s. The 60s cartoon series, yeah. I have another point. I have another point real quick, but it goes along with this. In the the page where uh, he uh, is about to get blackmailed, he says... um, don't clean me up too much. I want to look battle-hardened. That is straight from, like, a Dicko issue where, like, he wants to make him look a lot more braver than he actually was. And this is the same story where he's being serious and says, you know, my wife is dead and, you know, I want to kill him. And now he wants to, like, lie and pretend that he's a badass in front of cameras in the face of all that? I mean, that, that, that is, like, retrograde characterization. I'm sorry. Yeah. JR, we haven't heard from you. Any, any thoughts? 
Um, well, I was going to say, uh, just to hop on this thing about James Noyes being a pillar of integrity, paragon of integrity. Uh, yeah, I guess I would say yes and no, because in the very same issue where Jameson decides to cop to pleading the pleading, uh, uh, cop to creating the scorpion, uh, like on the next page when Peter is uh, waiting for Harry Osborn or out in the air with Harry Osborn and he's kind of thinking to himself, he said, yeah, he's really beating his chest over the scorpion, but he seems to have conveniently forgotten about all the other projects he's financed over the years, the <laughs> spider slayers and such. So, mm-hmm. Jonah is, I, I, I mean, I do agree to some degree, but, you know, Jonah's integrity has always kind of been a little bit selective. You know, he only copped to creating the scorpion when he was going to be outed, you know. So it's like, you know, such a big man, he didn't, you know, I mean, he created the Scorpion in issue 20, and he waits until issue 251 to admit to it because somebody's going to, you know, publish it. So I yeah, I think that's dubious. I, I mean, I think to use that to say that Jonah has integrity uh, is is a bit dubious. Um, but, you know, again, it's, I, I agree, though, point. Slot's very inconsistent on his uh because, for example, Jonah's worried about being exposed because he ordered Spider-Man to kill Smythe, and he's really worried about that. But wait a minute, what about the top, what about Jonah manipulating Justice so he could get you know Smythe ramrodded to the to the uh, you know to the uh, to get the lethal injection you know simply for personal vengeance? How about the time he punched out a defense lawyer? Or what about when he cre- used public funds to create a group of his own Spider Slayers? Although that's not what he called them. <laughs> so you know it's it's yeah Jonah Jonah's selective about what he. Wore worries about not very good. but do you think that he would succumb to blackmail from spider-man you know the thing is the story's not done yet i mean here here's the thing he might now but then it might be something that he rethinks later and says i'm not going to do i'm not going to put up with this you know i don't know yeah. spider yoda versus spider kenobi <laughs> jr you've got the next issue which is superior 14 what happens in the, this month shadowland huh comes back well well the story begins with the father and son and the father's saying oh boy you know this hell's kitchen used to be a really nice place with all sorts of gangsters, <laughs> you know, gangsters and bad guys and everybody shot yeah. each other but it was just fine until the kingpin showed up you know <laughs> you know i mean you know it's it's you know we can't take fat tubby crime lords you know but we can take the, the all the other kind of crime lords but anyway so he's living in this big old japanese castle you know and he hangs out with super ninjas and super villains and the hobgoblin and plots also sorts of nefarious evil, and we just hate it here. Okay, so I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is Hell's Kitchen, right? This is Daredevil's stopping grounds. Right. So why is Daredevil letting this go on? You know? Um, wait a minute, Dare, is Daredevil in this universe anymore, or, or is he out hanging out with Spock Prime and the pasty white con? You know? I mean, <laughs> so, I don't know, quite good. You know, where's, where's Daredevil? Anyway, so the father is thinking, boy, I just wish someone would come along and kick this fat bastard's ass. You know? And all of a sudden, he hears... Doom, doom, doom. Todd McFarlane's back. No, wait, 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 wait. no, 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 no. Wrong story, wrong story. There's no lizard or half-naked big boob sorcerer chick in this one. So it's it's just tomb, tomb, tomb. There we go. Got that right. Okay. Anyway. That's funny. Kingpin's rapping with the Hobgoblin and his, and his super ninjas. And he's saying, you know, man, I really could use another couple round of drinks. Hey, ring up my old buddy George Barrowman, and we'll go out and hoist a couple. But so, <laughs> you know, for everybody who knows that George Berryman and the Kingpin went out drinking once. Uh, no doubt. 
And, you know, and the Kingpin's going, and in the meantime, isn't that Spider-Man a real dumbass for knocking off all my competition and leaving the sea to me? <laughs> and then all of a sudden he hears a voice, Fisk, you big fat bloated pile of shit. I'm coming to kick your ass. And I'm doing it with my very own Transformer. Eat that, Shia LaBeouf. And I just did make a before getting here. You know? So Anyway, so Spider-Man comes out in this big-old-ass Transformer, and he's thinking, you know, I used to think those knockoff toys with us Marvel superheroes turning into Transformers was another cheap and exploitive attempt to squeeze every last nickel out of us by Marvel. But actually, that was not a bad idea. So anyway, so Spider-Man's minions are out there with guns, blasting the ninjas. And it's the the spider transformers blowing the hell out of shell and boom, boom, boom. And then there's all sorts of corny dialogue going on. Yes, people of Hell's Kitchen. Spider-Man is here to kick ass and chew bubblegum, and he's all out of bubblegum. Then we get this two full two-page spread of Spider-Man telling the Kingpin and Hobgoblin, these are your final moments, and what's left of this castle shall serve as your tomb! And then, just like when you're in the middle of a workday, trying to get half a dozen different things done, and your wife calls to talk about something completely inconsequential that could have waited until you friggin' got home, it's Mayor Jameson calling Spider-Man, whining about, how dare you take out a notorious crime lord that everybody knows is a notorious crime lord, and we all just let him in a big cat live in a big castle and do whatever the hell he wants. Don't you know that stupid plot has been used by Marvel writers ever since Frank Miller turned him into Daredevil's Big Bad 30 years ago? How dare you remove that insipid plot device and force the writers to tell different stories with different villains? So, anyway, this is really serious. (laughs) So, anyway, the Kingpin realizes, oh, man, Spider-Man really is going to kick my ass this time. So he and the Hobgoblin run downstairs to a previously unknown lair where a big, big, bald, fat dude sits eating chicken wings and playing video games. Hobgoblin says, hey, what's his big, fat, uh, bald lard ass doing here? Uh, besides <laughs> you, that is. Uh, well, why, this is plan F, Mr. Hobgoblin. In case of coming under siege by Transformer, have similarly bald, fat guy infused with my DNA, medically <laughs> altered dental appliances, to die here in the rubble, and of course, everyone will be fooled, because no one in the Marvel Universe has ever faked their death before. No one has ever come back from being impaled in the heart with a goblin glider or having their neck broken by an evil spider clone or transferred their consciousness out of their own desiccated corpse to that of their most hated enemy who seems dead, but we all know he's coming back before the release of his new movie in May 2014. So, the King Pig and Hobgoblin escape, and Spider-Man goes out to his adoring public to absorb their love and adoration. And... As everyone is basking in the glow of that brand new day, mysterious drug pushers with goblin tattoos start showing up on the streets, peddling their wares. And, under the sewers, the super ninjas who weren't killed in the collapse of Shadowland are being led to meet their new leader. Gather round, my subjects, we have wonderful news! As Wilson Fisk, former minions, join our ranks and we gobble up his infrastructure, we've passed the tipping point. 52% of all organized crime in this town is under our control. And four out of five did a survey recommended Trident. And for that, we owe a very special thanks to the Spider-Man for cutting off the heads and leaving us the bodies. As of right now, your Goblin King is now the Goblin Kingpin of Crime. Without even lifting a finger, I'm already one. New York is mine. <laughs> <laughs> Oscorn. Oscorn. Pros. Very nice, Jr. Pros. I like blood, guts, violence, and destruction. Chaos gave it a B plus. 
That's the funniest thing of the whole thing. I thought we were going in F territory, but you give it a B plus. I love it. Very long. Anything. I mean, come on. You know, it's like literally. Everybody knows the kingpin's a bad guy. Everybody knows what the kingpin's. Yeah. Everybody knows what the king's been doing for the last forty years. You know, but everyone puts up with it. So Spider Man just goes in and blows the hell out of his. You know, blows him up. Boom. And, yeah. You know, I'll give you that. Superhero in one hundred and one at its finest. Anybody got pros? Yeah, I, I just want to actually. Actually, I'm sorry, Chris. Oh. Let's get grades before we get oh, okay. the pros. Okay. Grades, Chris. A B. And Josh. Uh, I'm trying to remember because I'm trying to be consistent with the grade I gave it on um, Griffin's show, but I think I gave it a B. Okay, Don. I wrote a B minus in my review. I'll, I'll give it a B. I'll give it a B also. Go ahead, Chris. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say I love the the Kingpin's body double. That was hilarious. Um, you know, in a, in a previous podcast, I uh, pointed... Am I still on? You guys yeah, you're me? still yeah. um, uh, In a previous podcast, I pointed out that the Kingpin has these guys that he beats the crap out of in his training room, and I wondered right. I wondered why anyone would sign up for that job. <laughs> well, right, right now, I'm wondering why anyone would work for the Kingpin at all. Like, <laughs> he, he snaps this guy's neck. He snapped the guy's neck in the Greg Rucka tangled web issue. Uh, you'd think that after the first snap neck, he'd stop receiving applications, but um, I guess uh, for some reason, supervillains like the Joker and the Kingpin, even though they are constantly just killing their Kingpins, or their, blah, their henchmen, I'm, I'm having a word salad problem today, um, killing their henchmen, uh, <laughs> people keep signing up to work for them, and I, I thought that, that scene was hilarious. I, I don't know. It, it was just such an abrupt break in tone to just absolute ridiculousness was, in the middle of the issue. Yeah. He was totally going for humor on that. Yeah, I mean, there's no way me. that could actually... That couldn't work in a real-life movie or something <laughs> yeah, like no, that. <laughs> I mean, good lord. Just this guy, his know. entire existence is sitting and, like, playing video games and eating chicken wings until it's time for his neck to get snapped. Yeah. Mercy. Any cons? Uh, well, I, I have... I, I always, like, co-sign on that pro, on that pro because, like... It's just so stupid because, like, the Kingpin to me is like, is like always been like, you know, he's supposed to be like the Rick Ross of like Super Marvel supervillains. So he comes in like, you know, and just oh, here introduces this character who we immediately see die, and it's just, it's just so silly. But like, it was so silly that like it just, it's funny. It can't, it cannot yeah. be taken seriously. It can't. I agree. Uh, he's the Bertoni bio for the month. Not really though. <laughs> His one appearance. Well, you've done more with less. <laughs> in order, in order to get onto Bertoni Biles, you have to be already dead when your first appearance uh, <laughs> happens. Already dead and related to a major character. Uh, cons. Um, I don't. I mean, this, this is not so much cons. It was like sort of my thing that I guess labels me here. But I mean, I don't know. It's it's a, a little weird for like. Came in, like, came in, like, what's that noise? And then you have, like, Spider-Man and his spider, of uh, like, you know, mobile suits. And all of it, and hundreds of his, of his henchmen. And, like, all these giant robots just outside waiting to spank their asses. And it feels a bit, uh, I don't know, if, it, like, like th- I don't know. It, it feels just a bit odd for me to just read that out of nowhere. Um, this has a lot more ramifications than the next issue, which aren't dealt with, which I'll bitch about later. But, I mean, like, that, to me, just kind of felt weird reading the Spider-Man comic. But that's a personal thing. It's just one thing I didn't care for. Yeah. Uh, one pro that I'll give it is I like how 
the Green Goblin is the one who's been evading Superior Spider-Man for all of his bravado and all of his, this is so easy, I'm doing everything that Parker couldn't do. He is not realizing, like, the storm that is brewing right under his nose and, like, literally right under his nose because it's in the sewer. So I like that. Uh, Con, okay. Let's say hypothetically um, that, like, I mean, Marvel would never allow this in a million years, but let's say hypothetically that Matt Fraction in the next issue of New Avengers had Reed Richards say, well, wait a second, something's wrong with Spider-Man, and then, like, you know, looked in the Spider-Man's mind with the psychic, saw that it was Auk in there, fixed it with no effort within a few pages, and then spent the next two issues saying, that was so easy, how come no one did that before? That was so easy. How come no one did that before? Uh, I think that, mm-hmm. not that Shadowland was a good book, but, like, first of all, it, it's, I think it's really disrespectful, you know? And, and maybe Dan Slott and Andy Diggle or, and Ed Brubaker are all old buddies, you know, who go to the park every day and play. But I think it's, <laughs> to that, to, to that storyline, to just say, oh, this was easy. How come nobody did this all along? Psh, whatever. You know, like, it, it, why, why don't we have a book where Superior Spider-Man says, how come no one ever thought about taking down Galactus? Um, he takes down Shadowland <laughs> with no effort. By the way, Shadowland is yeah. overrun with hand ninjas. Hand ninjas, you know, the people that gave Wolverine a hard time, the people that gave Electro a hard time. But it's okay, because they're being fought by people from the mayor's office. Again, people who were given a hard time by Elektra and Wolverine are defeated by people from the mayor's office. Okay, and it's been a little while since I've read Shadowland and the preceding storyline, but I think that the reason why nobody was touching Wilson Fisk was, I think that, like, a deal was made with him or something. But just, like, I I am so tired... I I, I mean, as as much as I agree with you, I didn't know why that was still allowed to be... I just think it's disrespectful, like, and and it undermines the story to say, like, oh, you know, this army of ninjas or whatever, and I want Spock, uh, I said Spock, I want this, it's osmosis, man, I I want Peter Puss or the superior Spider-Man, whatever we want to call him, to, you know, have a little, show a little effort towards what he's doing and not, like, you know, maybe it was a little challenging to take down Shadowland, you know, maybe the fight was hard. But no, he just goes through there. He hasn't... I I don't feel like he's earned a lot of his victories. I just feel like he's, you know, breezing through. And I feel like taking down the Kingpin, you know, like something that, you know, throughout the 80s Spider-Man couldn't do, you know, throughout all these different books, you know, the Kingpin has been... And I I guess that's JR's pro, because JR thinks that it should have happened sooner. But, you know, this whole, like, I'm so tired of, of Peter Parker's repeating throughout this issue and the next issue, huh, how come no one ever thought about doing this before? Because it wasn't supposed to be easy to do before. You know, you have to have these characters earn these things. It it shouldn't have been that easy, and I didn't I didn't like that, and I think that it, you know, under, I mean, in Shadowland you had Power Man, Iron Fist, uh, Spider-Man was there too. How come Spider-Man didn't just take him out then? You know, if Doc Ock can take down Shadowland, whatever, no effort, then how come his all of his plans were foiled before issue 700? Yeah. I, I, I agree with the continual, this is so easy, this is so easy. Why didn't Peter think of it? It makes our, our hero, who is probably coming back, 99.9% I mean, probably. <laughs> probably coming back, it makes him look like an, a tool. I guess it's what, that, that he can't do anything right. And why do we want to read a character like that? No, I don't think that's the case. I just think that like it just makes Art look like a jackass because 
he's putting things in a certain perspective. I mean, I don't, I don't think... It's not like, you know, why didn't Peter do this? Because, well, I'll get into the next issue, people don't actually go around doing this. But it's just, it just, it's just Ark repeating himself in every issue to the point where, to the point where it's over-excessive.